know, the Psalms end with a statement, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You're breathing borrowed breath to praise him with. Uh, Psalm 96 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. And yet there are 3.2-ish billion people on planet Earth who could not get to the gospel if they wanted it, and they don't want it. And yet they're supposed to ascribe to the glory that's due his name. Their breath is borrowed breath too. Most of the 8 billion people on planet Earth care nothing for God, nothing for the death of his son, nothing for Jesus' resurrection, nothing for the offer of life, of offer of forgiveness, and the offer of adoption into his family. And yet, they're living on borrowed breath. And yet, they don't want it. And if we're honest, most of the people that sit beside you at work every single day care nothing for God and nothing for his salvation that he's offered them. And most of the people you go to school with and most of the people you play sports with, they don't know Jesus. And yet they're living on breath. He gave them borrowed breath. The glory of their life is due to him, not themselves. And so the question becomes, is Jesus worth us taking the uncomfortable step to open our mouth? Is Jesus worth the sacrifice of luxuries here to invest in people going there? Is Jesus worth the sacrifice of maybe you hearing the call of God to stand up from where you are and go to the nations? Is he worth it? Is he worth it, graduates, who are being sent? You're not just leaving because there's a job in Atlanta, a job in Orlando, a job in Savannah, a job in Dublin, a job in Perry. You are being sent to Atlanta, sent to Savannah, sent to Perry, sent to Dublin, sent to a dozen other places in this earth with the good news of Jesus that can call people back to the Father. So is he worth it? Is he worth the going? Is he worth the giving? Is he worth the awkward sense of maybe I'll be rejected and not fit in? Yes, he's worth it. Yes, he's worth it. Right? The Gospel of John opens up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the truth is, none of us have seen God at any time. But the only God who is in the side of the Father, he has made him known. Why is December the month where we give the greatest thrust of emphasis on the mission of God to the people of this earth? Because Christmas represents the greatest missionary act of all time. The greatest crossing a barrier to reach somebody on the other side of that wall. Sitting in heaven with eternal praises, he crosses the barrier to a sin-cursed earth. That's a pretty big barrier. God the Son for all of eternity taking on flesh. That's a pretty big barrier. The sinless Son of God who never knew sin taking on the likeness of sinful flesh, though he never sinned, taking on the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem people like you and I in flesh. 
that's a pretty big barrier. The God of eternal life dying so that dead men can live, that's a pretty big barrier. That's a pretty big barrier. The God who has never been out of relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all of eternity, you can't even comprehend that length of time. And yet, goes on a cross where the heavens shut off to him. That's a pretty big barrier. And so this month is about what we call the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, but it is not simply a call to give, though I want you to give sacrificially. It is a fresh opportunity to ask yourself the question, will you be part of taking this message, this good news about this Jesus to people that don't have him? Will you answer the call to be sent Sent to school, sent to your workplace, sent to your neighborhood, sent to wherever it is that God has ordained for you to live your life. Will you answer that call, and would you consider the call? Is God calling you to go somewhere the gospel isn't, where there aren't Christians hanging out in coffee shops? There aren't Christians. Or would you pray that God would raise up those laborers and send those laborers into the harvest? That's what this month is about. The fresh time to answer the questions. Is it worth it? Is he worth it? Let's read. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We're going to talk about the, the commission that Paul has for the nations. And we're going to look at how that speaks to us, a, a commission for the nations. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, Called to be an apostle, set apart to the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak in a fresh way to our souls. There is a glory of Christ and a mission of Christ, and it's been given to us. I pray that your spirit would speak a fresh word to our soul, that we are recipients of grace on top of grace on top of grace, that our sins were scarlet and you washed us white. Our sins killed us and you made us alive. And there's a world of people that need to be forgiven. There's a world of people that need a savior and they don't know anything about him. There's a world of people that hate you, but God, you made them for yourself and you pursued them to a cross. Would we pursue them to the ends of the earth? Would we pursue them to the ends of our streets and our campuses? In Jesus' name, we, we ask for a fresh movement on our souls first. Amen. So why should we sacrifice for God's mission? Why should we sacrifice for God's mission? The first reason, we have a gospel that centers on Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one. We have a gospel that centers on Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one. I have some friends, we'll call them. 
and they are fans of Harry Styles. Any of y'all? You don't have to admit it. Don't, 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 don't say it publicly. They're, they're Harry Styles, and not just fans, fanatics, right? So the news travels that he's coming to Florida just a few short hours away. 300 bucks a pop, done. And if you go to a concert, there's this, you have to have a new outfit. Do you know this? It's been a minute since I've been to one. So new outfit, done. Pictures with his cutout to post on Insta, done. Drive five hours, done. Get a hotel room, done. Go to the concert, feel the elation, see them after it's over, and you know what? There's this mild depression that sets into their life because it's over. And so they start scheming. He's going to New York. No, you're not going to New York. They're scheming. He's going somewhere else. Was it worth it? Yeah. When can we go again? We have a Savior named Jesus Christ. God in human flesh who walked a sin-cursed earth marked by being despised and rejected because he wanted to pursue you from death to life. Is he worth getting excited about? Is he worth the 300 bucks a pop that you might invest into world missions? Is he worth uh, putting on the new clothes of Jesus? Is he worth the sacrifices? Is he worth the effort? Is he worth the travel? Is he worth the losing your comfort? Is he worth paying the price of a hotel? Is he worth all of the stuff that it takes to see him made known among others? Is he worth the awkward conversations? Is he worth the chance of rejection? Is he worth not fitting in? Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. He is worth it. Is the good news worth going across campus with? Is the good news worth going across your office with? Is the good news worth going across the street with to serve, love, bless, and share with people around you? Is it worth opening your ears and your heart again to say, am I the one to go or am I the one to send to the ends of the earth where he's not? Yes. Is his fame worth sacrificing money, comfort, time, and my life? Yes. Let's look at it. We'll jump in the text. And again, this is Paul personally introducing himself uh, to the Roman church. Um, they did it in a way that was smart in the ancient world. Instead of putting your name at the end when you write a letter so that people have to wander all the way through, they went ahead and introduced themselves in the first part and then uh, went from there. And so Paul is specifically introducing Paul and specifically introducing his ministry. But I believe that there are principles and commissions that are part of this message that apply to you and I. A different version of them, yes. I'm not Paul, you're not Paul, and we, we aren't called to be. But there's versions of this commission that apply to every single person in this room. Every single person that's named the name of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at it. He, he introduces himself with these, these three ways. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now that's a nice way of the word that's underneath it. Slave of Christ Jesus. I am owned by, bound to, and love the name of Jesus Christ. I am his servant. I am his, gladly his slave. And in the Greek world, it sounded a lot like it sounds to your ears. That doesn't sound like a good deal. That's an awful connotation. That is a lowly thing. Paul said, yeah, but it's Jesus. But in the Hebrew mindset, it might be very different. In the Old Testament, there are people who had elevated to a place where they got the title in the Old Testament, servant of the Lord. And so it's both, right? When you think about, I get to serve Jesus, me, 
you. We get to be slaves of Jesus. What an amazing gift. While also remembering what a lowly position I'm in compared to the exalted position he's in. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and then he's called to be an apostle. God initiated initiated a powerful and effective invitation to Paul. God initiated a powerful and effective invitation to Paul to be part of his mission, the mission of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to to the nations, to you and I. And so he was powerfully initiated by God and sent, or or to be an apostle. Apostle simply means a sent one. He's sent out with that. And so he's introducing himself. I am called. What does it mean to be a slave of Jesus for me? I am bound to be sent to the nations with this message. And so he's a very specific apostle. There were 12 followers of Jesus. Judas kind of dropped off the scene, didn't do so hot. Paul is added in, and there are 12 special followers of Jesus who took the gospel from this little bitty town of Jerusalem all across the known world within a generation. It was said they were turning the world upside down with this message that they had. These 12 men were part of the responsibility of writing the New Testament scriptures that you have there. But beyond that, this word is applied to, to the followers of Jesus everywhere, that there's a little a apostle where we are all sent ones and and jesus says it at the end of his life as the father has sent me so send i you we all have this sentness attached to our life and so he's a slave of jesus and his slavery to jesus looks like being sent to the nations but what is he sent with set apart for the gospel of god he was sent to the nations with the message of the gospel and the message of the gospel the main primary part of the gospel was not he was sent with the gospel to forgive men their sins. He was sent with the gospel about God, from God, sourced in God. A slave who looks like he's sent to the nations with the good news that God pursues a sinful humanity, rescues them to himself, rescues them for himself. And you and I are sitting here because he listened. You're sitting here because he heard the call. You're sitting here because it was powerful in his life and it sent him. And you're sitting here because he didn't decide to sit it out. I'm thinking the first time I got 40 lashes in the back, my commission end, I paid my dues, I paid my price. It's yours now. And Paul had it happen to him three or four times. I'm thinking the first time my boat crashed and I'm dunking around in the dark ocean. I'm done. And yet it happened to Paul several times. I'm thinking the first time I see a snake, much less get bit by a snake. I'm out. And yet that's Paul. So bound to Jesus, so burning with this commission, so sent in his spirit, because the gospel was that precious to him. Is the gospel that precious to you? And so I want to encourage you, you're sent. The everyday rhythms of life, you are walking in these circles of life. Maybe it's the gym a couple of times a week. Maybe it's work every day. Maybe it's some hobbies that you take part in. There are these circles of life that you walk in, and you know what? Other people walk in circles that overlap that. 
Who is in the circles that overlap your circles that don't know Jesus? Who are in the circles that, are, that, that, that you're walking in that you overlap with from time to time or on a regular basis or every single day that need to be served to show them that there's a God who would serve them by becoming one of them to redeem them? Who in your life needs to be blessed by the Father to know that there's a God who is eternally blessed? Who is there that needs you as you serve and as you bless to hear that there's good news available to them? And his name is Jesus. It's not a set of principles or laws. You're sent, and part of what it sent looks like is whatever circles you walk in, God ordained those circles. And it's on purpose, so will you do it with purpose? You're sent, and then Paul then unpacks, what are you sent with? What's the message? What's the good news? Is it I should be a nice person? No. I should be a religious person? No. I should go to church more? No. I should keep a lot of rules and laws? No. What are you sent with? What is the good news? That there's law available for you? No. What is the good news? You can be a good religious person? No. The good news is not a what. The good news is a who. It is concerning his son. Right? The good news of Jesus Christ centers on the person of Jesus, not your performance, not your laws, and not your religion. God made flesh. The good news is a person who walked around known and marked as a reputation of despised and rejected. The good news is a person that concerns his son, it centers on his son. It centers on God, the eternal son. God the son, right? It concerns him, it's about him. Jesus is the central part of the gospel. And then what does it tell us about him? He was descended from David according to the flesh. That the eternal God took on the human nature, took on human flesh, and decided or agreed and volunteered to be fully human and add that full humanity to being fully God. And forever it would be mixed together that he is man and he is God. And he's he's after David. There's There's a king in the Old Testament way back when whose name was David. He was a man after God's own heart. And God made promises to David because God made promises to David. It wasn't because David was awesome, though David was a pretty great guy. It wasn't because David was perfect, though he did a lot of good things. He also blew it a lot. God made promises to David because God made promises to David. And what he said is, forever the right to rule my people will come from you. But he added to this, one day a forever king that will never be dethroned will come out of your line. And then Christmas, the verse we talk about all the time, right? Unto us a a son is born, unto us a child is given. Right? And he'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And of his kingdom there'll be no end with justice and righteousness to establish and uphold it forever. That was a Christmas verse because it's about this. David's forever king's name is Jesus, and, and Jesus will be enthroned as king one day, or the Messiah will be enthroned as king one day, and his name is Jesus, and the government will be upon him, not just the government of Israel, not just the government of America, not just the government of the, uh, of the West or the East, the government of the entire world, but the entire world's too small. The government of the entire universe and every piece of creation will be on Jesus Christ, and it will never end. Kings come and things go, kings go. Praise God, right? right? Thankful it turns. A king is coming that will never turn again. 
But what's his kingdom like? Will we groan because of inflation? Will we groan because of some problem in the world? Will we groan because we don't like him? No. His kingdom will be marked by justice that is real and perfect justice that never has to be cried out for again because forever and forever over all things justice will reign and righteousness. And that's the kingdom that's coming in David's son. And who do we meet? God the son descended from David after the flesh. But then declared to be the son of God in power by the spirit of holiness, the resurrection of the dead. There is a human nature and there is a divine nature. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates every single claim Jesus made. It authenticates everything that Jesus promised. There's a guy named C.S. Lewis, and he, he said that, that, that someone that made the kind of claims that Jesus made would be in the magnitude of a madman deserving to be institutionalized. Or it'd be true, and he should be worshipped. He made those kind of claims. The thought in this, this section is he's been the son forever. The resurrection didn't make him the son of God. So the thought in this passage is from Psalm chapter 2. The nations amass against God. And they have this great plan to throw off the shackles of God. We'll govern ourselves. You can go away, God. We'll take care of this. You can go away. We'll rule. And God, Psalm 2 says, sits in the heavens and laughs at them. He mocks them, and what is his response? I'll go ahead and put my king in place anyways. And you know what he calls that king? Today you are my son. I have begotten you. The messianic king, the king that will come and deliver, the king that will come and rule, the king that will come and save, is the son of God. And it is the resurrection of the dead that enthrones him as the messianic king over all those who would come to him in faith. He was declared that by the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. I wish I could do justice to the who for you. I wish I could do justice to my own heart to capture in words the who that we're talking about. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But he is God of eternal praises and eternal glory who has been in perfect fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And, and when the angels are created, they have ceaselessly praised him rightfully as God. And yet he came to an earth despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's him. Spent his life slandered and mocked. That's him. Walked to the streets of Jerusalem, surrounded by a great crowd. Everybody excited about him at the moment. And there's a woman who's had an issue of a flow of blood. For over a decade, she's been an outcast. For over a decade, she's had a physical illness. For over a decade, that has isolated her from the touch of other humans. And she gets it in her mind, if I could just touch Jesus, everything would be okay. And she does. And it heals her instantly. But she's not healed yet, is she? And Jesus stops everything, and there's this huge crowd, and he's like, who touched me? And they're like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody. And this woman whose blood issue had been healed, but whose isolation from people has not, he stops, he looks her in the eyes and says, daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. And now you're not just physically whole, you're relationally whole again. And he's the kind of, of Jesus, the kind of God who sits by a well at the middle of a day and a woman comes out to draw water because she's got a reputation that she's earned of, of being an immoral woman and she can't come out with the rest of the women. She's an outcast and she has to come in the heat of the day. She comes and he's like, give me some water. Twins had five husbands and is shacked up at the moment. And the kind of Jesus that looks at her knowing I'm pursuing this woman and she has no clue what I have for her. It's exactly the kind of woman I'm after. And through a conversation, he makes the clearest statement of his purpose of almost anywhere in Scripture. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. And he changes her life. And story after story after story, this is Jesus. This is concerning his son. And he'll write that story in your life too. And he'll write that story in the lives of the nations who don't care for him, aren't looking for him, but he's looking for them. And they have no clue what he wants to do in their lives. And maybe your coworker that he would love and he is do, he's ready to do something in their life and they don't have a clue. And you're part of that. You can be part of that story. Why is it worth it to sacrifice? We have a gospel that centers on a person. Not principles and laws, a person named Jesus. Secondly, we have a gospel that invites global faith and obedience. We have a gospel that invites global faith and obedience. You know, I feel like we've done most people a little dirty. We've offered them the symptoms of the gospel and said it's the gospel. Here's forgiveness. Here's peace. Here's self-esteem. Here's um, a sense of belonging. And we've offered a man and said, that's the gospel. The offer of the gospel is not your well-being. The, first, primary. The offer of the gospel primarily is not your sense of peace and satisfaction in this world. It's not a sense of a new identity that rewrites your old one. It's not these things. You know what the offer of the gospel is? It's so much better. You get God. God is yours and you are his. You get Jesus Christ. That's the offer of the gospel. That the Jesus we're talking about lived a sinless life, showing what it's like to live in the kingdom, showing what it's like to be broken and made whole, showing what it's like to be outcast, brought near, showing what it's like to be fatherless, now daughter, showing what it's like that there's a God who pursues you with compassion, not looking to strike you, but looking to save you. And so... Have you ever come to this point where you have been convicted of your sin? You are, are sinful and separated from God. I'm sinful and separated from God. That, that I'm born dead and sin trespasses and I, and I choose that way over and over. And I am separated from God with a chasm that cannot be crossed. Have you ever been convicted of your sin? Have you ever seen how blazingly, perfectly holy and righteous God is and then has the Holy Spirit ever shown you Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not talking about the one in books, and I'm not talking about the one uh, that, that you have some conception of. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit showing you Jesus, the one who lived, died, and rose again to offer you life. And have you ever turned from your sin that separates you, turned from your efforts to get back to God, turned from your religion, turned from your performance, and put faith in Jesus 
open hands. God, I can't do anything. I can't get to you. I can't run to you. I can't work to you. I can't religion to you. But you came to me, Jesus, and I believe. Have you ever done that? Have you ever turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, not your works? Jesus, not your religion. Have you ever done that? Look at the mission Paul is on. One simple verse to explain it. Paul says we've received grace and apostleship. Grace is the free gift of God. And yes, it includes forgiveness, but it's not limited to that. Grace is the same word for spiritual gifts. So grace is a supernatural power to serve the church, to love people around you. Grace is what teaches us to renounce ungodliness and live godly in this present age. It is a powerful force of transformation in our lives. And so when Paul says, I've received grace, and when we say, you have received grace, yes, the forgiveness of sin, but the supernatural power to live the life of Jesus, the supernatural power to serve people around you, and the supernatural enablement to make this message known to people. Do you know you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said, to be my witnesses from... Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. We've received grace and apostleship, which we talked about in verse 1. We've received the power and enablement, and we've we've received the commission to go. And so we have the power of God to go, and we have the call of God to go. But what do we go with? Look what it says. Through whom, Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith that you have the, the enablement of God and the commission of God to walk across the court, to walk across the baseball field, to walk across the football field, to walk across the campus, to walk across your office, to walk across your street. You have the power of God and the commission of God to do it, to offer people a faith that will change their lives, a faith that will transform them the obedience of faith and so you have the power and the commission to do that what is the obedience of faith it has two thrusts to it thrust one what obedience does God require of you are you required to keep the Ten Commandments well in a sense yes sort of are you required to keep the law of God are you required to do everything the New Testament says in a sense yes what is the requirement of God Believe in Jesus Christ. There's a group of people that asked Jesus that in John chapter 6. What do we have to do to do your works, God? Or, or Jesus? Believe in the one whom God sent. Believe in Jesus. That's the answer to the question. So what is the obedience of faith? You, believe, you, you obey the gospel by believing in Jesus. And then, the second thrust, obedience flows out of faith. You are saved by grace alone. It is a free gift to God, totally by the work of Jesus, nothing about your performance. But the kind of grace that saves you is the kind of grace that will always change your life. It will always transform you. There is no salvation that doesn't change you. And so what is the obedience of faith? It is obedience that flows out of a life that's been transformed by faith in Jesus. I obey the gospel by believing in Jesus, and then when I believe in Jesus, that faith changes my life. And so you are with power and commission sent to wherever you live to offer people a faith that will change their lives. And some of you, some of you are called to go where Jesus has not been named and Jesus is not known with the power of God and the commission of God to offer them a faith that will change their lives. Would you hear that call? And if it's not your call to go, it is your call to be the support to make sure others can go.
And so that's the goal, to bring about obedience of faith. What's the purpose? I hate to tell you this. The purpose isn't your forgiveness. The purpose isn't your peace with God. You know what the purpose is? It's the glory of Jesus Christ. For the sake of the name of Jesus, go to the nations with this message. For the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ among 3.2 billion people that can't get to him if they wanted to and they don't want to. For the glory and renown of Jesus, go and sin. For the glory and renown of Jesus among the countless people you see all week long that have no clue about him and no concern for him. For the glory and renown of Jesus, open your mouth and face rejection. Open your mouth and offer hope. Give your life to service and love for them for the sake of the name. And for the sake of the name, not just here in Statesboro, but for the sake of the name among all nations, for the sake of the name among the Muslims, among the Hindu, for the sake of the name among the atheists and the animists, for the sake of the name, for the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of all this? Not you, him. And it is his glory to save you. It is his glory to forgive you. It is his name celebrated for all of eternity to rescue people that don't want to be rescued into a life they could have never imagined to be adopted into the family of God. And so for the glory of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. And so for the sake of of the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, who are you supposed to go to? We've said this for several years, serve and share with two. It's easy to get lost in eight billion people. But for the glory of Jesus among two people in your life, who are those two? For the sake of the name of Jesus among two people that you interact with, who are those two? For the sake of the name of Jesus, for the glory and renown of Jesus, what should you give? Yeah, there are preachers good talking about money again. I don't ever see a dollar of that. The nations will, though. Because there's some that have to go, and the rest of us have to send. For the sake of the name of Jesus, what will you give? And then for the sake of the name of Jesus, would you ask God again, is it me? Would you make the statement again that Isaiah made, here I am, Lord. Send me. And if it's not me, God, would you raise up laborers to the harvest? The harvest is too great. The harvest is too plentiful. The harvest is too much. The glory of Jesus is too much. God, raise people up to go. The last step. We have a gospel that forms us into a worldwide family loved by God. Why should you sacrifice everything for this stuff? Why should you sacrifice everything for this stuff? Because we have a gospel that forms a worldwide family loved by God. Have you, ever, have you noticed how easy it is for you to dismiss people that are different than you? How easy it is to think poorly of them because they're different than you? How easy it is to maybe go beyond thinking poorly and, and rail against them online or, 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 or to say ugly things about them in person just because they're different than you, right? And so we've, we've got these factions, and I'm, I am free to say and think anything about you I want if you're in a different group than me. And so, you know, those liberals, those conservatives, different ethnicities, different races, it's so easy for us to dismiss in our minds or our actions vegan meat eater it's so easy to think how awful the person on the other side is and then act like that or just dismiss them out of hand country folk rubes city people elitists 
And without thinking about it, we can dehumanize people because they aren't like us. And I think there is one word that if we put it in front of it, would change everything about these differences. Brother. And I mean it, not just say it, mean it. That's my brother. Oh, he's a liberal. That's my brother. Oh, he is a conservative. That's my brother. Oh, I just wish he'd start eating meat again. That's my brother. He's from the country. That's my brother. He's from the city. I love him. God bless him. What if you looked at the people around you who are followers of Jesus and totally different from you in every way you can imagine? That's my brother and I love him. That's my sister. I love her. And then what if you started looking at a world full of people that don't know Jesus and the God who would adopt me, I'm pretty different. Me, I should be dismissed, is the God who'd love to adopt them too. And so they're not my brothers yet. I don't care the differences I want them to be. And we lived our lives as the family of God to offer family to the world. Because that's what God does for us. Look at it real quickly as we, as we wrap up. Including you. All that we've just talked about. The, the glory of Jesus among all the nations. Well, you're part of the nations called to belong to Jesus. We live our lives hungering to belong. Where do I fit in? What's my place in the world? Am I accepted anywhere? Do I belong anywhere? And sometimes we find these pockets of belonging, and it's this little taste of what should be. And then sometimes we have these life transitions, and we go to college, these life transitions, and we leave college to go into a random city, or these life transitions where, where things change, or these life transitions where we get rejected by a group of people. And then it's really, where do I belong again? Do I belong anywhere? And you have a God through the work of his son Jesus who says, come, you're welcomed into my family. You belong. You fit in with me forever. You fit in with me wherever you go. By the powerful invitation of God, you belong. You're accepted. Called to belong. And then look at this, to all those in Rome who are loved by God. How am I defined as somebody who belongs to Jesus? What is true about me? I'm loved by God. Why? Because I'm loved by God. Why? Because I'm loved by God. Why? Because he chose to love me and there was nothing lovely about me. And so when it says loved by God, it's not loved by God because you worked hard enough. It's not loved by God because you performed well enough. It's not loved by God because of your good religious observance. You're loved by God because God chose to love you and for no other reason you're not loved by God because you read your Bible enough this week. You're not loved by God because you had a good enough prayer time. You're loved by God because God set his love on you. You belong. You're loved. And then you're called to be saints. By the same effective, powerful invitation of God you belong is the same powerful, effective invitation that says you're righteous, you're holy, you're a saint. And it has nothing to do with what you have done. It has everything to do with what he has done. You are a saint. You're righteous. And then for the rest of your life, I'm going to make you more and more a saint. More and more righteous. Because you are one. You are righteous. And it has nothing to do with what you did. It has everything to do with what Jesus accomplished for you. 
But notice, this isn't just to form a new ethnic group, a new people, a new, a new social club. It is those who have received grace from God our Father. It's a new family. You belong to a brand new family with God as your father, with Jesus as your older brother. And you are welcomed into a family that will forever be your home, forever be your family, and forever be your welcome. Grace, you've received the goodness and God free. Peace, the experience of that grace is that you're able to rest. And it comes from the Father, and it comes from the Son, and it's offered to you. A few practical things here as we, as we finish. First, have you believed to the point of obeying? Do you have a saving faith in Jesus that has actually changed you? You see, there's no salvation without transformation. I don't mean completely, I mean bit by bit. He makes us different. And as we look out over the course of time, he's changing us and he has changed us. Have you ever turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus in a way that shapes your life or begins to shape your life more and more? If not, I would invite you to repent. I would invite you to acknowledge and see all this ugliness that's called sin. Because when you do that, you're invited to see all the beauty that is Jesus. Turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. And if you've done that, if you've done that, have you believed in a way that's changing and shaping and making you more like him? How have you grown over the last six months? How are you different now than a year ago? How are you different lately how are you different from when this whole thing started for you? Maybe it's been a while. How are you being changed? Second, to whom should you go? To whom should you go? What I would start with is what are your circles of life and who overlaps those circles? Right? What are your circles of life and who overlaps those circles? And what I would do is I would say that every single day I'm going to find a way to speak a word of encouragement and blessing. I'm going to find a way to serve somebody. I'm going to find a way to intentionally add good to the environment I'm in, good to the, the team or the workplace I'm a part of. I'm going to add good to the lives of people around me. I'm going to find ways to bless. And then I'm going to trust God to give me the names of two people that I'm going to just pour my life into. I'm going to serve and I'm going to share. You can do it with 50, but start with two. Start with two. If you already got two, go to four, whatever, right? Who should you go to? And then finally, what should you give? This is the month where we talk about our missions offering. 100% of it goes to people who have sent from where they are, who live on the mission field, and all of it goes there. What should you give? If you're in a microgroup, make, make it one of the focus of your time meeting together and your time praying together and, and your kind of checkup questions. Okay, I just want to offer before God what he wants from me. What should it be? Or maybe you sit down with your family over dinner tonight and you say, okay, here's, here's missions. Here's what we talked about today. What should we as a family invest in this? Find a way to identify that, that amount and then just obey. Give what God says give. Is he worth it? Absolutely. Is he worth it? Absolutely. He's worth everything. So let's go. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, you are good. You are so good. Would you open our eyes to your goodness? Lord, if there are eyes that are blind and hearts that are deceived in this room today, would you open eyes and unblind hearts? Would you show them the glory of Jesus? Would you show them the goodness of the gospel in his face? Turn them from their religion. Turn them from their misconceptions. Turn them to Jesus, the one who lived, the one who died, the one who rose again. And Father, for the rest of us, would you put on our hearts 
the weight that there are people that don't know you. There's people that aren't in your family. And we don't want to live with them estranged any longer. Would you give us a burden? And then, Father, we ask, would you speak? We want to be those who hear. We want to be those who sacrifice. We want to be those who invest. We invest because of the sake of the name of Jesus where it's not. For the breath you're giving people, and they don't know you've given it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, I would just uh, I would invite you. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin, if the Holy Spirit is showing you Jesus died and rose again for you, come, let's pray together. Or there's a white sheet in your bulletin. If you say, I, I need... I have questions about this. I want to talk to somebody about this. Fill out that little white sheet in your bulletin and give it to one of us on the way out. We'd be glad to talk this over with you more. But maybe for you, it's a fresh burden. God, there's people around me every day and I just haven't cared. Or there's people around me that I care deeply about, but they don't know Jesus. And you just want to take some time to pray again and ask again for God's pursuit of them again. Or maybe it is that prayer, God, here I am, send me. Send me across the street, and God, is it time? Send me across the world. Here I am. I'm yours. I'm your slave. Do with me whatever you want. Send me wherever you want. That's a prayer you can make today. Let's stand together and sing, and you respond how the Lord is leading you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're here. We've come. Invite us again. Call us again with that effective and powerful calling. Show us we belong. And then send us to those who don't yet. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.